0: Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we looked at this psalm last Lord's Day, the first four verses, uh, put your attention back to the title. And the title of this psalm, which is also inspired, is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So we have the context of the psalm that is written here. And as I said, last Lord's Day, David probably towards a later portion of his life began reflecting upon what the lord had done in delivering him from his son absalom and he penned this hymn it is not that he wrote this psalm it's not that he wrote the psalm while he was going through it it was later upon reflecting that he wrote down this psalm and he began to reflect upon god's goodness and the deliverance that god provided which was a great encouragement for david and so david really writes this psalm as an encouragement to his own soul. Beloved, that teaches us something here about remembering the promises of God. When oftentimes we go through what's called the dark night of the soul, and we don't know what God is doing in a particular time, in a particular event, a circumstance in our life, we can look back to what God has done. When we can't see our way clearly in the present, we can look back to the faithfulness of God in the past. We can remember and reflect upon uh, God's faithfulness to us, which strengthens us for the day, for the moment, for the time, for the circumstance, for the trouble that we're going through. It's just simply a way then, as David shows us, to reflect upon the truth of God's Word and encourage your soul. Do you need encouragement for the soul? I need encouragement for the soul. Seemingly, I needed more now, uh, this stage of my life, this season of my life, than I have at other seasons of my life. And I find that encouragement from the Word of God. Look, I, I've given up long time ago of trying to find encouragement in the life of the church. And to the sadness and to the shame of the church, it just doesn't happen. And if you are left waiting and waiting and waiting for that encouragement, you would have been famished. Because it doesn't happen. So I've turned away from looking to the church as a source of encouragement. And beloved, we are to be a people of encouragement. We are to encourage one another. We are, as you encourage this person, that person encourages that person, and it's to be a flood and a continual encouragement in the life of the church. Just an analogy just came to my mind. Kind of like lightning bugs. It's like flickering all over the place, isn't it? It's not only in one place, accumulating in one place. It's all of a sudden, you see and they start to go and one starts to appear in another. And it becomes more and more, start to flicker and shine all over the place. That's how the church is to be. And that's often what happens when you encourage somebody else. You motivate them to encourage somebody else who encourages somebody else. And then it starts and it's not to stop. It is not a been there and done that. It is to keep on keeping on. That is what we are called to as the body of Christ. The question has the salt lost its savor? Has the light been extinguished in our day? It doesn't seem that the church in our day is really shining, it may be just barely glowing. It may be even just flickering, but I don't see a floodlight beam. I don't see boldness. I don't see I see on our landscape a people that run to and fro for all the things of earth, longing and loving and grabbing all the things of earth and compiling and accumulating more and more of the things of earth. To the eclipsing of the things of God. Now again, nothing wrong with having good things that God gives to us. But there is something wrong with them when they begin to eclipse the glory of God. The worship of God. The service of God. Beloved, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price... To serve the true and living God, the true King of kings, and the true Lord of all the lords of the earth. We are commissioned to serve Him, to honor Him, to live for Him. Here am I, Lord, send me. Where do you hear that cry in our day? No, you hear, don't send me, send somebody else. It ought to be all of us. Moses prayed and said, Lord, that all the people of God were prophets. That all would proclaim the Word of God. We are certainly at a decline a low ebb in the life of the church today. If the church is so vibrant in our culture, why all of this ungodly legislation? If there are truly Those that they say that are born again in our country. Show me. How can that be? So reflecting and going back to the Word and encouraging your heart with God's Word is what we need. We all need. And you don't need one time, beloved. You need continually every day. We love to be encouraged, but are you encouraged? Are you an encourager? Here's here's the principle. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I love to be encouraged, so you must then be an encourager. If you are not an encourager, don't think it's strange that you are not being encouraged. So, David encourages himself. And he writes this to bring that encouragement to his own soul. To encourage him in the fight. This must have been a great heartache for David. That his son Absalom was rising up against, against him. To, to overthrow, to take the throne, to replace him. Second Samuel 15 we read that Absalom stole the hearts of men. Now, you can only steal the hearts of men by speaking ill of another. When you're trying to usurp the throne, a position, somebody. Think about it in a company. You're wanting a position that somebody else has. Well, how do you do that? You you usurp that position by speaking ill about that individual. They don't do this. They don't do that. They don't provide you with this. They don't provide you with that. I do. I would be better served in this Position. The company would be better off. That's what Absalom was doing in gathering up people. That, that's what we still do today. We still do the same thing today. We, we, we usurp in companies, in families, in organizations by using the same means of exalting ourselves and bringing low the one that may be in that position already. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. For God resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. God cuts down the prideful. Absalom was cut down. He was a man of pride and arrogance. You know, it's said in 2 Samuel with regards to Absalom that he was a handsome dude. And that he only cut his hair once a year. It, amazing! He let his hair grow for a full year, and then he shaved it all off. And the Second Samuel gives the weight of his hair; it was so heavy upon his head that's why he shaved it off. He had a lot of vanity in his hair, didn't he? I don't have that problem. He had that problem. Kind of envious of that problem, but he didn't. He had that problem, but he was Here he was, thinking of himself, looking to himself, how great I am. And so he began then to gather up men to overthrow David. What does David do? David turns in prayer to God. David takes his focus off of Absalom and those thousands that were rebelling against David and siding with Absalom. And he begins to go to the Lord in prayer. That, beloved, is a lesson for us as the people of God. The one who can change the circumstance, the situation, the people that are all around us is God and God alone. There are many things we cannot change and so we go to the Lord in prayer. We go beseeching the one who can make the change. We go to the one who can cause the change to take place. And a lot of times it's a change within my own heart. It's a change in how I view the things and my circumstances that I'm going through. And so David then resorts to prayer. And as he does, uh, the Lord hears his voice and he cries out. The Lord, as it were, bends to stoop to hear the prayer of David. Look at verse 4. I cried out to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. Now, just getting a running start here. Uh, The Lord hears the voice of his people. When we ask anything according to his will, which is his word, he hears us. So we are to be a people that continually comes to the Lord in prayer. Praying always and for all things in all situations, we are a people of prayer. We are a people that believe that God does work through the secondary means of prayer. We find it in the Scriptures themselves. And so we faithfully, we diligently, we continually come to the Lord, praying, asking, beseeching Him to make those changes, both within us and within the people around us, the situations that we may be in. And so David is heard by the Lord, and he he heard me from his holy hill. Uh, The Lord hears from heaven, and He answers His people. Notice the word selah. Uh, that, That simply means pause it's a it's a metrical pause in the psalm itself as you're singing to stop we often don't do this we often rush through things this is a call when you see it how often do you read through it and you just keep going and you don't stop and reflect that's what it's calling you to do so they like a full stop stop wait a minute go back And reflect upon what was just said. Here's what was just said. The God who holds the galaxies in His hand by His Word hears our prayers. That's wondrous. That's humbling. Who am I that God would hear me? Listen to me. As the psalmist said, I'm a worm and no man. And yet, God looks upon me. He takes pity of me. He has compassion upon me. He hears my prayers. That that's humbling. That the God who created all things with the word of his power, who upholds all things with his word, hears our prayers. David said he he laid down and slept. Sleep is a blessing. God gives his beloved sleep. David is in the throes of being chased out of the kingdom, out of Jerusalem by Absalom. And he's out in the desert. And as you remember, he walked out of the desert barefoot with his head, with a towel upon his head because it was humility before the Lord. And here he is, he lays down to sleep. It would seem, wouldn't it, it seems to me, you know, those times when you go through difficulties and you have an anxious mind, you can't sleep. You're worried, you're fretting, you're thinking, you're mulling it over. You know, oftentimes as a young kid wanting to go do something and realizing the day is coming and the hours keep ticking by and you're not sleeping and you become anxious all more and more about it, thinking about it, rolling it around and you can't sleep. David lays down and he slept. Because he gave his beloved sleep. God provided that sleep for him. Sleep is a great benefit and a blessing from the Lord. In sleep we re-energize, isn't it? The body rebuilds. We feel fresh. You know when you wake up in the morning and you haven't had a good night's rest. And you're not fresh. And you don't feel fresh. You feel sluggish. Here's David in the midst of of a war, as it were, being chased all around by his son Absalom, and he sleeps. Why was it? How was it? Here's the Lord Jesus, he's on the boat, and he's with his disciples, and a storm arises. How did that storm arise? How did that storm come to be? Did that happen by chance, beloved? Did the one sleeping who is truly God and truly man, does he not control the storm as well? Did he not bring that storm as well? And even as is human nature, he needs to sleep, he needs to rest, he needs to eat. And here he is, the divine ruler and creator, the one who walks on the winds of the water. And here he is creating the storm while he slept quietly, stern of the boat. Why? He awoke because the Lord sustained him. The confidence of our Lord is he is sustained by his Father in heaven. This is his human nature speaking. Speaking about the the humanity of Jesus Christ. Making distinctions with regards to his person. He is sustained by the hand of God. Why was it that not one of his bones could be broken? It was prophesied. He was sustained by the God of heaven and earth. Not one would be broken. So it is. David had confidence that he was sustained by the Lord. God sustained him. Do you have that confidence? Are you comforted to know that you're in the hands of the Lord? That God sustains you? It means He keeps you? He undergirds you? He is the one who holds you up? Uh, We think about that as a baby being held in the arms of a mother. Upheld by the arms of the mother. With an infinite degree, God upholds us as His people. And therefore, we don't need to be anxious. We really don't. Anxiety is as is, is a result of sin. It often happens in our lives. We become anxious about things we can't change anyway. And it's the Lord who sustains us. David was confident of this. David reflected upon past experiences. David knew from the teaching of God's word that God is faithful. David knew from the teaching of God's word that God changes not, that he provides for his people, that he will not let one of the sheep of his pasture be devoured by the wicked one. David was confident of these things and therefore he laid down and he slept. This is a great example for us, isn't it? In the midst of trials and troubles and difficulties and temptations and the tribulation that come upon us, the persecution, the suffering, we rest in our God. David rested in the Lord, and the Lord sustained him. He slept and he awoke. Do you know there are those that awake, but they don't awake in this world? There are those that awake, and you are with the Lord, or you are in hell. There is only two places that the Bible speaks about where an individual goes upon death. All those that are united to the Lord Jesus Christ, upon, absent from the body, they are immediately present with the Lord. Upon those that do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, from absent of this body, they are present in hell. And they are beginning the suffering of God's wrath upon them. God sustains us. If you awoke this morning, you realize God has sustained you. There are many who awoke in a place of heaven or hell. David says, I will not be afraid. How is he not afraid? He's not afraid because of his confidence in the Lord. I won't be afraid of ten thousands of people. People coming against me from all sides, from every avenue, from every venue, from all the different tribes around me. I'm not going to fear Fear is a strange phenomenon in our life. Fear causes us to act irrationally. Fear causes us to lie. Fear causes us to fly, to run, fight or flight. Fear causes us to do irrational things, to respond irrationally. That's what fear does. We often are in fear, aren't we? Why is it? Why is it that we are often in fear? I think often we don't have the confidence of the Lord. Why do we not have the confidence of God? Why do we not have confidence that God will sustain us? Why is that? The only one reason, beloved. We are not in this book. As we behold Christ as in a mirror, the glory of God... We are being transformed from one level of glory to the next, even by the Spirit of God. Godly courage, godly confidence comes as we cultivate the word of truth. This is the sphere in which the Holy Spirit develops that in our lives that we can have courage and stand firm in the light of all the trials and troubles of life, knowing that we are in the hands of God. Do you really believe, beloved, that you are immortal until God is through with you on this earth? If you are, why do you fear living? People that won't go on planes, because planes can come down and crash and you can get killed. You can get killed walking your dog... You can get killed once I was in South Dakota, they, uh, coming from California. Somebody in the congregation says, I bet you feel much safer being in South Dakota than in California with all those crazy drivers. Are you kidding me? You ever see those farmers driving looking at their crops? They're all over the road. You can get killed with a farmer looking at his crops. And yet here we are, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of everything. We're, we're afraid of a virus. They don't tell me we weren't. There was fear that you might die. And you know what? You're going to die. Something is going to kill you. And when God's purpose for you is done, you're dead. It's just that simple. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. It's not a mistake. It exactly right on time. You have a birthday and you don't say, wow, I was born by chance. You were born right on time and you die right on time. So live. Live boldly. I didn't say live foolishly. But I did say live boldly. Stop fearing the things of this world. This is our Father's world. He upholds us. He sustains us. We ought not to be a people of fear. Fear makes us irrational. Fear, because of sin makes us stupid. We act stupid. These people have set themselves around David, but he did not fear. They were all around him, surrounding him. And yet, here he was in confidence. Here's his prayer. This is a psalm of of the imprecatory psalms. A psalm that David is in this portion praying that God would destroy. Or God would do a particular work. He had already prayed, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. When he knew that Ahithophel was with Absalom, he immediately prayed, confuse his counsel. Make his counsel foolish in the eyes of all those around. And the Lord did. The Lord answered that prayer. <laughs> it's amazing because Ahithophel was, became angry, walked away, went home, got his house in order and hung himself because they didn't take his counsel. David is praying, arise, O Lord. Arise. It means come to the forefront. It always means this God coming and and actively dealing with those that are coming against His people. It's a rising up and it's a rising up in defense against those. But God is on the offense, isn't He? He is defending His people by offensively coming against those who would come against His people. And He says, save me. Now, we see this and we immediately think save me means give me redemption. That's not what it means. It's not meaning salvation from all of my sins. It's not meaning bringing me into eternal life. David is already a believer. This means to rescue me. When the Scriptures speak of saved, so does, so do my, It doesn't always mean... That you are redeemed from your sin and misery. It can mean that you are uh, redeemed or rescued from an impending storm. A certain circumstance in your life. God has redeemed you. He has saved you from that. So David is asking for being saved from his enemies. And notice what he calls God to do. Strike them on the cheekbone. And he says that God did strike them. All of his enemies. This is coming from the animal world. Now notice the analogy that is given here. For an animal, I once saw a lion that got kicked by a a zebra. And when it got kicked, it hit it in the bottom jaw and knocked half of its jaw off. That lion will die. Why? Because it's a predator, it cannot eat, it cannot hunt. It's just a matter of time. That's what David is saying. You have broken their cheekbone. The ability to eat, the ability to nourish, the ability to be sustained. The Lord, you have, you have broken their cheekbones. You've knocked their teeth out of their mouth. The Lord has done this. Not David. The Lord took vengeance on those that were coming against the anointed of the Lord. So you have struck all of my enemies on the cheekbone and you have broken uh, the teeth of the ungodly. It's a matter of time, isn't it? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God will come. God is going to come. And God is going to mete out vengeance for all those that hate Him and would not have Him to rule over them. It's the culture in which we live. It's the times in which we live. When will the Lord come? Uh, That is not given to us in Scripture. But only that He will come. And He will cast out all that offend He will break the cheekbone of all of His enemies. He will knock out all the teeth of all those who come against Him, gnashing against Him. So the people, we hear this with regards to the people of God. There is always those enemies of the Gospel gnashing their teeth at the people of God. God will knock their teeth out. Beloved, how is your, your level of courage? How is your level... Of zeal for the things of God, of confidence that the God that God will protect you and keep you. This is the ironic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Do you have peace because you're in the hands of the Lord? Do you have peace and confidence knowing that nothing can ever rip you from the hand of God? Nothing can snatch you. Do you have peace and confidence? To know that you do the Lord's bidding, that you are not your own, you have been purchased by Christ to do His will. You have confidence in that. Can you lay down and sleep when the whole world is against us? If God before us, who can stand against us? This gives us courage. This gives us confidence. Reflecting, rehearsing, remembering, and then repeating. Reflecting upon the Word of God, remembering the Word of God, repeating the Word of God in your mind. This is what we need as the people of God. Because salvation truly belongs to the Lord. Now, both senses. Rescue belongs to the Lord. If you've ever been delivered from a particular situation, God has rescued you. David doesn't say, man's rescued me. My army's rescued me. The fear of me being a war man rescued me. That's not what David said. He says that salvation, rescue, redemption, deliverance comes from God. God delivers His people. And His blessing is upon us. Now let's bring this into the spiritual realm. Salvation, deliverance from sin. That's of the Lord. If you're here this morning trusting Christ, you've been delivered by God. God has delivered you from Satan and sin and the consequences of your sin. God has delivered you from that by the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has brought you out from underneath the tyranny of Satan and sin and brought you into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven of all of your sins. You have been delivered from the consequences of your sins by the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. This is a repeating of what Jonah said. Salvation is of the Lord. Redemption and deliverance is of the Lord. It's not of you and me, beloved. It's not of us coming together and trying real hard and doing better. It is looking unto Jesus. He is our salvation. He is our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. I am sanctified by looking unto Him. And as I look unto Him, I become like Him. And then I'm talking like Him. I'm living more and more like Him. Christ is our salvation. Our hope, our joy, our crown, our rejoicing. We keep on looking unto Him for the temporal deliverance, from the eternal deliverance. God alone is the salvation of the soul. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Burn that into your mind and think about it in both senses. David's speaking about a temporal sense, but it's also true with the comparing Scripture with Scripture that salvation eternally is of the Lord. God saves us from our sins. If left to us, we're damned. There is no hope. Notice the Apostle Paul says that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. The things of the Spirit of God. What is that? Genesis 1, Revelation 22. The things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to the unbeliever. But to those who are being saved, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. To those who are the redeemed, the Word of God is the zenith of wisdom. It is not foolishness. It is not marginalized. It's not a dusty book that you set over as a doorstop. You don't throw out the Word of God. You treasure God's Word. Uh, Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. You cultivate the Word of God. You're like Asa, you find the book of the law and then you begin, you dust it off because it had been put away and you humble yourself and you fall down in sackcloth. And you call then for a fast because you have found the book of the law. And the book of the law is then read because you have reverence and obedience to God. You tremble at His word. That's what happens when the Lord saves His people. It's a precious treasure for us. Is it a precious treasure in your life? If I was to come to your house and ask your children, would they say that my parents treat God's Word as a precious treasure? That it's seen. We don't know the heart. I don't know your heart. But your actions, your life, the things that you do, the things that you say, they are revelatory of your heart. They reveal your heart. And beloved, if this is the Bible and it's there and you walk away and then you come, oh well, it's church time. We've got to get the Bible out. And that's all that it is to you. It's not a precious treasure to you. You're going through the motions. It's a facade. You're putting on the mask. You're playing the hypocrite. That is demonstrated in your life. The people of God live here. The book lives to us. That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit makes the book live to us. And so we grow in the knowledge of the truth. And all those that love the things of God say that the Lord be magnified. They praise His name. Because God's blessing is upon us. That's part of God's blessing. God blesses us with reverence. God blesses us with zeal. God blesses us with desire. God blesses us with a mouth that proclaims His glory. God blesses us to know that salvation is of the Lord, deliverance of the Lord, protection is of the Lord. I can get on the plane. I love being on the plane when it gets stormy and it starts getting bumpy because people are in a panic. And you just kind of... I smile looking around at everybody else. Hey... If the plane goes down, what I always tell my wife, what are you going to do about it? We may crash. What are you going to do about it? If the engine falls out. The pilot drops over dead. Then the co-pilot falls over dead on him. What are you going to do? Does anybody know how to fly the plane when you hear that? What are you going to do about that? You can't do anything about it. Why do we get so excited? Why are we so fearful? We are, aren't we? Why? The God who has redeemed us from all of our sin and misery. As the old saying, he's got the whole world in his hands. He is not going to let you perish, beloved. It is an impossibility that anything or anyone can snatch you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's an impossibility. The sheep of his pasture are in his pasture. And no wolves get in to snatch and destroy His sheep. Live. Live with confidence. Live with assurance like David in the midst of all the turmoil. Stand, beloved, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Speak to this world. Be light in this dark world. Shine the light, beloved. You are the light of the world. Let it shine. You in this small corner and me and mine. And we will keep on letting the light shine. Don't let the world extinguish your light. Don't let the world cause your salt to be unsavory. Keep on. Keep on keeping on until the Lord calls us home. There is not a been there, done that. I've been there, I've done this. Keep on moving on. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep on pressing on with that eye towards the confident assurance that God sustains us. God keeps us. And when I die, His purpose for me on this earth is done. And then the next one comes along. Live with that boldness. And we won't be paralyzed by the fear of the wicked one who is constantly throwing the fiery darts of fear at us so that we will become those that are motionless in the things of truth. Let it shine that Christ might be exalted. Amen. Shall we pray?